The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everyone, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast joining you as you join us to talk some Bengals football once again this week. We teased last week, I'm Anthony Gazenza, by the way, we teased last week that Ken Anderson, former Bengals MVP, was going to join us on the program. Unfortunately, Ken told me yesterday morning, I'm going to get some disappointed people right off the bat, Ken Anderson told me yesterday morning via message that he is unable to come on to the program tonight, so we are working to reschedule him for the very near future. So our apologies, I'm sure his apologies to you all as well. We're going to try and get him back onto the program in the very near future. We're working on that. He kind of had some other things pop up, making him unable to come onto the program. So unfortunately, I hate to start the program off on that note, but I wanted to let people know that unfortunately that's not going to be happening tonight. However, we do have a number of other things on tap for tonight and a number of other discussion topics tonight. And uh, we will work on getting you Ken Anderson. I promise you that. Joining me, as usual, John Sheeran. John, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, it's a shame. Um, Ken Anderson passing us on us means that he's not allowed to go into the Hall of Fame anymore. So it's, I don't make the rules. We don't make the rules, but that's just how – no, I'm just kidding. Um, it sucks that we're not going to be able to talk to him, but if you guys don't already know, uh, our friends at DNH Sports, Daddy McDuke and Dr. Hoji the Electric Smoji, had about a 15-minute interview with Ken Anderson already, the post – the article of that interview is up on cincyjungle.com. So until we get Anderson on here for real, uh, go ahead and check that out if you haven't already. So uh, we've we've got a number of, and yes, go check out that interview. We've got a number of topics to talk about tonight. I don't know why, but it appears that our Facebook feed may not be working for some people. So maybe refresh that. We did change the kickoff time of the feed. So maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, so if you are happening to happening to watch via Facebook and you're able to hear us, but not see us ref- refresh the feed and uh, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully get you joining us that way. But we, the Bengals have, uh, they're, they're starting to kind of trickle into the facility. We saw Zach Taylor today get into the facility. There's some chatter from some of the players obviously they've talked about what's been going on in the world within their own locker room they've had I guess some discussions there we'll talk about the Bengals kind of returning and some of the little news and notes surrounding some of the players as they begin to return to Paul Brown Stadium and the coaches do as well 
there's also been a, a few other news and notes uh, that we'll get to, including, um, you know, some unfortunate news regarding one of the uh, another Bengals great. We would have loved to have talked talked to Kay Anderson about this specific player. We'll get to that in a second. And then John put up a very interesting article on CincyJungle.com. We will share that with you. A lot of data points and a lot of things in terms of setting expectations for Joe Burrow's performance at possible performance as a rookie quarterback. So we'll get to that. And then, of course, we've got the nine for nine series as we get to the conclusion there. And uh, we'll well, uh, which which position which position group did we decide on this week, John? Well, I think we were going to go quarterback because wow. we're going to talk about Burrow and Anderson. Um, we can still go quarterback if you want. Let's to. do it. This is, this That's is, fine. This is, com- this is completely acapella, which is exactly where I thrive. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're uh, uh, yeah we're going to do quarterbacks. We had we had this teed up so nicely with Ken Anderson coming on and then the Joe Burrow article that you were going to talk about and then go into quarterbacks. But uh, unfortunately we'll, we'll, we'll still get to some of that and then we'll go to the nine for nine. But again, our apologies about the Ken Anderson uh, interview snafu there. We are going to work with him on getting him back on the program. So bear with us. We'll get him back on the program in the near future. I know he is very open to helping us out to come onto the program. So just a little bit of a uh, an unforeseen thing that came up last minute for him. If you if you follow us on Twitter at Bengals OBI, you would have seen earlier in the week when we did a promo tweet having him on. He retweeted it, so he was wanting to come on. Uh, it's just you know I think something came up and and that's okay. But we'll get him back on. So John, speaking of kind of that era of Bengals football, let's talk about the unfortunate passing of Ken Riley, uh, 72 years old, I believe when he passed away on, on Sunday, I believe it was. And obviously Bengals nation kind of came together and, uh, you know, in a solemn salute to Ken Riley, his life and what he meant to the Cincinnati Bengals, what he meant to the NFL and fifth all time in terms of interceptions, doesn't have the gaudy amount of pro bowls. But when you look at Ken Riley, the football player, longevity, character, consistency, part of that first Super Bowl team in 1981, a really, really good football player. And it's a shame that he passed away not being able to see the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I think nowadays interceptions are, I mean, it's the stat that most people look at when you talk about cornerback play and the effectiveness of that position, but it doesn't really tell you everything that you need to know. But then again, 65 interceptions over a 15-year career, a 15-year career that exuded extreme consistency throughout that career. It's nothing short of impressive. And I know that the majority of of leaders of the all-time interception list, they played around Ken Riley's time. You don't see a lot of guys nowadays getting you know seasons where you have more than four or five interceptions because the game has evolved to a point where it's just harder to be a defensive back. 65 interceptions is still more than 99% of any defensive back that ever played this game. I think only Rod Woodson passed him on that list since Riley retired in 1983. 1983 was the only year, his last year, that he made a first-team All-Pro. I think he made a few other second-team All-Pro lists as well, but never made a, But I don't, don't think he made a Pro Bowl, to my knowledge. I might, might have that wrong regardless, though. But, I mean, that his, his overall accolades in his career, I, I guess, set the stage for him being consistently snubbed from the Hall of Fame. But it... it it doesn't excuse the fact that he was consistently snubbed for the Hall of Fame regardless. Um, this is a career that has been largely overlooked by the by most of 
you know, the pro football writers and the people who end up voting for the Hall of Fame. But it's never been a case where Bengals fans, Bengals media have ever overlooked this guy. You know, Riley is widely considered maybe arguably the greatest defender in the, the history of, of the franchise. A guy that, I, as some people in our comment section are, are reminding us, that he didn't play cornerback in college. At Florida, yeah. he was a quarterback for four years. Paul Brown, in, in the second ever draft class of Bengals history, drafted him in the sixth round today for going to cornerback in the first training camp. And from the get-go, he, he was a star. And I know that Chris Collinsworth and Isaac Curtis have made comments on Bengals.com regarding, you know, not, not only just how – of how much of a technician and how much of a, of a game saver that he was the position, but you know, just the, the, the greatest guy to be around, just great character and all these, you know, all these attributes that make up th- that football life and that career, it, it belongs in the hall of fame and his accolades and his production, it stands the test of time. And it would be unfortunate that his death, bringing his name back to the attention may get him into the hall of fame, but if that right. takes, then I guess it's better than nothing. That's that's where I'm that's where I feel the biggest travesty is is just the fact that now you know he may be voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame based on his merits which have always been there they've been there since 1983 so I mean you, you've got the resume and now you you say you know uh, it, it takes him passing away for him to potentially get enshrined in Canton that is uh, th- that that would be a shame uh, in a lot of ways. I know publicly Ken Riley kind of said, you know, whatever happens, happens. I I, I guess I heard, uh, I think it was maybe Willie Anderson or, or someone, I don't want to misquote anyone, but I think it was maybe Willie Anderson who had said something to the effect of, you know, in private conversations, he, it, it ate at him a little bit. He felt he deserved it. The other thing, uh, you know, I mentioned consistency. I mentioned longevity and, and you know, he I mentioned the lack of Pro Bowls. He did make, you know, three all pro nominations, uh, 75, 76 and 83, 83 being his final year. He was an all pro. I think he had nine interceptions that year. So, you know, at the end of his career, he was still playing at a very high level, obviously was a big part of the Bengals run in 1981 when they went to the, the Super Bowl there. The interesting thing to me though, John, kind of a little bit of an underdog story, a six round pick Florida A&M, not a powerhouse school, uh, obviously skills you mentioned he was kind of to play on what you just said about not even playing the position really uh, beforehand and and now he comes in and he he should be a Hall of Fame player it's a shame that he has in his lifetime did not see that but I think we as Bengal fans and know the history of the team can say you know this guy deserves to be in unfortunately it didn't happen in his lifetime but hopefully it happens in the next handful of years here so this brings up a whole other topic, a topic that we have discussed ad nauseum on this program. How does the, the Riley's death could spur him to get more attention again to the Hall of Fame, but it could also, as a result, spur the conversation of the Ring of Honor or a potential Ring of Honor type facility being brought up within the Bengals organization. I believe Paul Daner Jr. of the Athletic wrote an article, I think, this morning or yesterday of this week saying that there are some talkings about possibly, you know, creating some type of ring of honor type, type of uh, either hall of fame or ring of honor, some, some type of, some type of thing that, that every other team in the NFL has. And there's no excuse as to why the Bengals don't have this. I know the Max Montoya, Willie Anderson tweeted out, you know, the Steelers and the Ravens have team hall of fames. And, and you know, that that's an honor that he wishes that the Bengals have. Max Montoya was on 
was on a DNA Sports a couple weeks ago. He was talking about how you know he spent the last five years as a Raider, and that's kind of you know that that's their whole thing honoring past players. And he wishes that the Bengals did something similar to that. It, it would be nice if you know, obviously Ken Riley would belong in said team Ring of Honor, but if, if the Pro Football Hall of Fame is not going to be the the entity that honors the career of Ken Riley. How how are the Bengals not not the place to do that? I know he's inducted into the uh, Black College Hall of Fame. He was inducted, I think, back in 2015. But the Bengals, they only have one Hall of Famer in in the entire Hall of Fame. It's the lowest amount of any team that has a Hall of Famer in the Hall of Fame. If If the team itself is not going to honor its past players, at least before they die, I don't know what else they expect to happen. Like, if... If they're not going to be the ones to honor their players while they're still living and breathing and have them have the opportunity to look at their name and their legacy enshrined in, in their stadium or in the team facility, what do they expect the Hall of Fame voters to, to do? Like, do they expect them just, to, to just back them up there? Like, uh, it, it's inexcusable how it hasn't happened yet. And just like with the Pro Football Hall of Fame, if this is what spurs that conversation into some actual action, then I'm, I'm all for it. It. Again, it's kind of a travesty that players like a Willie Anderson literally tweets at the team saying, let's do this. Let's get this going. You have to honor these people. Please figure out something. Pleading with the team to figure out something in this respect. And it's long overdue. The ironic thing, John, you mentioned they only have one Hall of Famer that's enshrined in Canton. They should have more, but they have one. You would think that the team then would say – Wow, we gotta. We're not getting our due there. Let's do it here. Let's let's exactly. more than make up for it here. Let's let's honor as many players as we can. And unfortunately, I think that it's they've had the blinders on as an organization for a little while, and that's you know it, whether that's a financial thing that they don't want to foot the bill for, or an effort thing, or they just. It, Mike Brown has kind of said, well, he doesn't really feel it's necessary. He's also said the same thing about an indoor practice facility. So they've just kind of, they've just kind of had that mindset. And, and unfortunately also some of these players that would belong in a ring of honor, John are ones that ended their Bengals career in acrimony. There were a lot of bad contract disputes. Guys were traded because they were disgruntled with the franchise, that sort of thing. Now they've been embraced on the way back, especially with this 50-year anniversary thing. But I, I, it's it's just long overdue that they do something, something. And I think for all generations, I mean, there are people that that are, ta- you know, I went on a show, uh, Bengal Jim's tailgate show uh, on Sunday, which was a lot of fun. They had Gary Burley, a guy that I know, but maybe a lot of other fans that are on the younger end of the spectrum don't know. And these are the types of things you can open up a wing at Paul Brown stadium to honor some of these guys, get your fans familiar with Bengals players from all kinds of different generations, have them there to meet and greet and do all of that. And it would be a really neat experience for people. Uh, like is it an issue of finances? Cause I know. Well, disregarding the fact that plenty of high school programs have indoor practice facilities, but a decent one in the NFL could cost you in the tens of millions of dollars, maybe maybe even hundreds of millions if you make it nice. A, a ring of honor, a little section in the stadium where it shows literally just the names, the stats, the pictures of the players that donned your uniform and gave your uniform a great fan base for generations to come. Like, 
it can't it can't be that expensive. Like I don't I don't understand what is detracting them from doing it in the first place. Is, is it an ego thing? Is is it Mike Brown wanting it to just to be his place to, to not have? I I don't I don't I don't see it like that. I don't believe that's the case. But I can't think of any other reason why it isn't there. Like there's there's it's it's excuseless. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation and I'm glad that they're feeling discomfort about it because maybe that'll actually force them to do something. Yeah. And they've shown baby steps towards certain things recently, this free agent period being one of them. And, you know, the, they don't like to admit it, but maybe some of the vocal, the volume of, fans and what they want has kind of pushed this team to do some of these things. And, you know, maybe that's where something like this comes up. And, you know, again, unfortunately, Ken Anderson, I, we would have loved to have asked, asked him a little bit about this kind of situation, obviously his thoughts on, on Ken Riley, his former teammate. But, um, you know, I, I, I think the, the players are being diplomatic and they're saying the right things and the things they should say. And, they love the Bengals. They love the team and they, but I, I think they want to see them do certain things to, to honor them. And it's not just an ego thing. I think for the players, John, I think it's also kind of like, Hey, we want to embrace the fans too. We want fans to know about the team. We want fans to know about us. We want fans to, I mean, no, it's, kind no, of a I get that. Thing. it's not, it's not just an ego stroke, you know? No, I, I was thinking it's more of an ego stroke of Mike Brown at this point. I I don't I don't understand because I know that he doesn't have anything about him like hanging up everywhere. The only thing that they have is just Sam Weish and his quote outside of I think the Northwest entrance, and then they just have faded metal banners of 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 players that are that you just have to squint really hard and have like 2010 vision to even contemplate what what they actually are. It it won't take much. Like we're not asking for anything. We're not asking for them to completely redesign the entirety of Paul Brent's team to fit this thing in there. There is space to do it. There is enough players to do it. There's enough support to do it. There's enough funds to do it. Just do the damn thing. Yep. And maybe it'll come. Maybe, maybe it'll be longer than some of us want, but we saw some changes in what they did this off season. Maybe that means, especially with, some pushback of folks like a Ken Anderson and Anthony Munoz and others, uh, Willie Anderson, who have been vocal about this. Maybe that's what it's going to take um, for, for the Bengals to do something like this, but let's, let's shift gears a little bit, John, the Bengals, because of the unique situation around the world um, with the coronavirus, that they, there, it sounds like the NFL is kind of slowly filtering in some of the figureheads, the coaches, the players, they'll start doing that and they'll do it kind of groups at a time. Obviously there's some uniqueness with, you know, spacing of locker rooms and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the Bengals are kind of coming back to the facilities saw Zach Taylor on Wednesday come back to the facility. They kind of scanned his temperature and all that kind of stuff on the way in. But um, the one thing I, one piece of, uh, of news that I thought was really, really interesting was DJ reader losing some weight. Uh, he came, he apparently played at around three forty last year, says he's lost about 20 pounds, eliminating certain things of his diet. I don't know if Captain Crunch was an actual joke or not, but apparently that was a diet DJ Reader diet staple. Uh, when I hear this, John, I get mixed feelings because on on one hand, I I, I think, hey, it, this is a sign. Maybe you felt like, hey, I, I, I was a little winded more than I should have been last year, and I really feel that if I lost some weight, 
I can really play more downs, be more effective, that sort of thing. But on the other hand, you were already an effective player at that weight, an ascending player at that weight. Why mess with the good thing? And we've seen mixed results when players add weight, lose weight. It, it doesn't always equate to all of a sudden an, a giant year of progress. So the one example that comes to mind here, um, Andrew Billings, when he was drafted by the Bengals, coming out of Baylor, he was 330 pounds. Or maybe it was 310 coming out of Baylor. He was up to 330, I think, in his first year or two with, with the team. you got to remember, he, um, I think, tore his Achilles at the start of his rookie season. He didn't even play in his rookie season. So he was up to 330, and then he was, then he was back down to like 315. And... It, it, it was a weird fluctuation with that weight, and you didn't see him really play any, with any sense of consistency until like his third year. With Reader, I think he's always been in the 340s, maybe almost 350 range, even going back to Clemson. He's listed on the website as 347, so if he lost this 20-pound this number that we're seeing from, from Reader himself, from Jeff Hobson, from Nick Eason, the defensive line coach, that would be about 327. Which three six three 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 twenty seven? You can still be a dominant runner. You're a big boy. Weight. You're a big boy. Exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's it's notable that this is the first time I think this is this has really happened for him that he's playing down at this at this weight. And we saw last year, even at almost three hundred fifty pounds, he was rushing the passer at a at a higher rate of of productivity. And you would think logically that him being smaller in this case would would help him with that sense. But I think this it, it's a sign of, of him being expected to play at least 60-70% of the snaps this year, even with you know a more of a healthy rotation up front, that, that is the expectation because that's what he he played 60% last year. He played like 58% the year before that, or I believe it's the other way around. 60% in 2018, 58% in 2019. That would be the that would be like the bar for him this year. And if he feels like losing that 20 pounds is, is good for him to you know, remain fresh for the entirety of the year with that workload of not only you know run stuffing but also pass rushing in the, in the B gap. I'm I'm all for it. I don't I don't think he's going to lose any power being at about 330 pounds. I think three to be 350 in the NFL and to be effective nowadays when everything is much more quicker and you know, plays are going more horizontal. It's a, it's an anomaly. You know, to see him chase down you know stretch plays and, and toss plays and outside runs at that weight. It, it not there's only a handful of guys in the NFL who can do that. So I don't I don't think it's gonna hurt him going down to 330, 325. It might it may even help him stay fresh even more. But again, like I think I think Eason even said it in the article on Bengals.com. Um, the quote is you carry around a 20 pound weight on your back and then take it off and see how much of a difference it is. But the yeah. three to, to go from three twenty from three forty is not the same as going from like going from two hundred to one eighty for just a normal human being. You still carry a lot of weight, but just to add that little ounce of explosion to go with that already reserved power, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I I uh I remember some people that had gone, they told me, you know, like in some of these weight loss things or personal trainers where they have them when they when they've lost some weight, they say, okay, now go go pick up those two sandbags and walk around for a little bit that that's like an extra 10 pounds or 20 pounds. And and the people, you know, once they've lost that weight, they're like, oh my gosh, this is what I was carrying around, you know? Uh, so that I, that is an interesting analogy. I guess my thing with it, John, is we never, we never saw DJ Reader, the 300, or at least not in this first year, we never really got to see him as a Bengals player at 340 pounds with this defense playing against the AFC North. We're now going to see a guy apparently who's going to be about 320, 325, like you said. And so that's where my curiosity goes. Okay. 
I, I think there should be more downs that he will play, which is good because he's an effective defensive player, as we all know. But I also kind of say, okay, you know, Baltimore Ravens like to run the football and you need the beef and the girth up front. Same with the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Cleveland Browns with Nick Chubb and company like to do it as well. I mean, I, I just, I'm kind of like, I just hesitate a little bit because I've seen mixed results with this, you know? But 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 it's not just all downhill. Like, you, you can still... <laughs> You can still stop the run and, and hold your gap at right. 330 pounds compared to 350 right. pounds. You know, you, you'll still be able to take on double teams. When you face the Ravens, it, it's not just about Mark Ingram hammering down your throat. It's also Lamar Jackson keeping some of those read options and going to the outside. You need athletes to, yeah. s- to stop these teams Lateral who are creating, key too. Are, are creating more diversive schemes to run the ball. I, I think the Steelers and Browns are a little bit more traditional in that sense. But, I mean, Nick Chubb is not a guy who just runs straight. He's he, he's the probably he's, He might be the most athletic running back in the entire NFL. James Conner is definitely not at that level, but he can definitely make you miss too. So you play the Browns and Ravens, you know, four times a year. Those are teams that can go any direction when you run the ball. And you, and you need guys who can not only be stout in the a gap, but also to chase down the backside on some of those outside runs. So to be three thirty, you're still DJ reader eight times out of the 10 is still the biggest guy on, on an NFL field. When he lines up there for the Bengals, he's not the, the size that he used to be. But he, he can still remain the same effectiveness. And it's not, I don't think it's that big of a hindrance, even with this, this narrative and this aura of what the AFC North is nowadays. Right. So that's kind of some news and notes as early filtering in of people of the Bengals organization are coming in. We also talked a little bit about Ken Riley and the Ring of Honor for the Cincinnati Bengals as we begin to move on. We're going to hear from. Uh, John in a uh, article that he put out on Cincy Jungle. We will share that as we do that before we do and get there, as well as the nine for nine positional preview series to close up the show. I want to remind everybody to get the show how you can. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can get it on um, uh, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. You can get it on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. Usually we're on our own YouTube channel live as well as Cincy Jungle's Facebook channel. I don't know why, but the video for uh, the Facebook channel this week may not be working um, at the moment. So I don't know what's going on there, but uh, please join us how you can subscribe to our channels and get notified when new material is out as well as when we go live. So you can join us live. Anthony, let's, let's transition to quarterbacks here. Um, Joe Burrow has been in the news lately for not only making a statement on Twitter regarding racial justice, but he also was one of the players that signed the uh, Players Coalition letter to help pass a bill, uh, pass a bill that will erase um, police immunity um, for a doctrine bill that was adopted in 1967. Joe Burrow's been in the news for good things, um, but we haven't really talked about, I guess, what he's expected to do on the field when all this talk um, becomes a thing of the past. Um, we are th- three months away from when we expect week one of the NFL season to begin. And the expectations of the Bengals really just lie in where we expect or how we expect Joe Burrow to perform as a rookie. I don't think it's uncommon knowledge that rookie quarterbacks more times than not struggle. True rookie quarterbacks. I'm not talking about Patrick Mahomes going out there in 2018 after having a year on the bench. No, I'm talking about guys who were drafted, you know, seven months prior. I mean, thrown into the wolves week one, or where, 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 whenever, if you played enough snaps to be considered a season starter for your first year, that's what I'm talking about. Not a lot of them have had success, but 
what does success look like now for the quarterback position? So I think in 2020, we are well beyond looking at completion percentage, touchdowns, interceptions, passing yards, just generic passing yards per attempt, quarterback rating, and especially wins and losses. The, the, I think the standard for most Bengals fans is Andy Dalton's rookie year in two, 2011. 20 t- touchdowns, 13 interceptions, just over 3,000 yards, like 16% completion percentage. Ended up winning nine games out of 16 starts. Pretty good if you just look at those stats. There were tw- Out of the 27 qualifying starting quarterbacks that year, Andy Dalton was about the 21st best quarterback. Now, what does that mean, though? Like, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you get there? Well, instead of using touchdowns, interceptions, passing yards, completion percentage, I think it's time that we look at the quarterback production metrics that actually matter. And what, what I mean by why they matter is that what production metrics can you use to predict set success going forward on a year-to-year basis? And the most important production metrics for that matter, the first one is PFF offensive grade. Now, I know people assume that it's this, it's the subjective number that is propped up by people who, you know, their own minds and how they grade, you know, every single play and whatnot. Regardless, it has been tested and is shown to be the most correlative production metric for quarterback play on a year-to-year basis. But if if it's too subjective for you, then I have some good news. Ben Baldwin of The Athletic, he's basically the, the analytics guy for NFL Twitter. He came up, I believe, in the middle of last season with his own type of metric that gives you the same predictive power as PFF offensive grade. And it's combining the metric of expected points added per play and completion percentage over expectation. And combining those two in in a regression, in a statistical regression, gives you basically the same information as a PFF offensive grade. And that fascinates me because I think the more context that you have in these types of stats... The, the, the more not only the more educated you are in terms of you know how good or bad a quarterback is, but it's also meaningful in the sense of how legitimate a quarterback's success is. Because Dalton's 20 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, it was decent for your first year, but it, it, it certainly wasn't at a level where you're saying, you know, this guy is capable of doing great things going forward. Because at the end of the day, it was a below average season when you're looking at the metrics that matter. So combining those two metrics, I looked at every quarterback's season from 2006, which is when PFF first started uh, grading seasons every single season, all the way to 2019. It's over 400 quarterback seasons. And I looked at quarterbacks who played about 250 snaps while the game was in reasonable a, a reasonable window of winning. So basically any plays that were within a 10 to 90% win probability. What this did is basically eliminated guys like Ryan Finley who were basic who were just spot starters who weren't full-time starters and also took away garbage time because you want to look at the production when the game actually mattered not when you're down by four touchdowns in the fourth quarter and out of these 36 rookie quarterback seasons only six of them only six were above average compared to the league average of that season the last one to have an above average season for a rookie was Dak Prescott back in t- 2016 before that, you had Mike Lennon barely eclipsing the average mark in 2013. You had Robert Griffin III and Russell Wilson in 2012, who both produced basically top five seasons. 
You had Cam Newton the year before that, just like Glennon barely eclipsing that average line. And then you had Matt Ryan in 2008, who had also a top five season. So one out of every six rookie quarterbacks and basically the last over dozen seasons, they've been what you can deem to be above average when looking at the numbers that actually matter. So I think it's fine to be excited about Joe Burrow in this offense in his rookie season. I'm not saying that he's not going to not have flashes of success, but there's a reason why I think the optimism for Bengals fans is not being matched by what Vegas is predicting them to do. I think they're still at five and a half wins because so much of a team's success, it, it lies in how a quarterback does. And if one out of every six rookie quarterbacks, if only one out of every six rookie quarterbacks produce above average, and usually above average quarterback success means above average team success, then there's a reason why there's not as much optimism there. But I think it's important that we kind of shift our focus and towards this type of production rather than just the volume stats and how the volume stats correlates to wins and losses, because spoiler, it doesn't correlate that well. Interesting stuff to say the very least. And you know what, what, when I, I, we have it up here, by the way, I mean, there's, there's a lot here, but it's all really, really well researched and and some good data there, John, you put a ton of work into that. You know, what's also interesting is the above average rookies there's a mixed bag there in terms of career arc as well long term right i mean you, you look at matt ryan you look at cam newton both those guys have had very you know stellar careers russell wilson the same but then you got uh robert griffin the third amazing rookie year uh kind of had some some other good stats in in a year or two subsequent to that but basically is now relegated to backup duty and wildcat type of duty with the baltimore ravens mike glennon we know the deal there and there's been some ups and downs with dak prescott so kind of to your point in terms of maybe tempering expectations based on some of these metrics you have used for joe burrow's possible performance in in 2020 you know even if he is one of these one out of every six guys unfortunately you know that the long-term success it, there are more long-term successful quarterbacks on that list than there are not of those of those six names there but you know it, it, there's a lot <laughs> there are a lot of factors at play right and i know everybody just cares about wins and losses because ultimately that's what the teams care about and I, and, and I care about that, too, because of the six quarterbacks who finished above average, four of them finished with winning records with the games that they started. S- only six of the 30 other quarterbacks had a winning percentage above 500. So it, it's not it's not like the quarterbacks that didn't finish well in the study. It's not, it's not like the, the, mo- the most of them succeeded. Only one in five of them had a winning record. If the Bengals want to go to the playoffs, then uh, they obviously need a winning record. And if they if they want to get a winning record, then they need probably an above average season from Joe Burrow. Like that, Dak Prescott had a fantastic rookie season. Russell Wilson, RG three, they had fantastic rookie seasons. Matt Ryan did well. It's kind of weird how, like every four years, we're seeing like a top five rookie quarterback. And I guess if you just want to look at like that, Burrow has a chance to maybe continue the trend. And then another thing is that people are looking at okay. What is the context of the makeup of the team? Because obviously Burrow's situation 
regardless of what you know people outside of Cincinnati think of it, his offense is 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 more stacked than what most rookie quarterbacks get to work with. You have a receiving core that goes five deep with guys who you're comfortable starting. You have talented guys at running back, and you have at least promise on the offensive line. And I think that bodes well for Joe Burrow to continue that trend and to be an outlier in the sense. But it, it's the expectation compared to the hope. It's it, it's the disconnect that I think it, it needs a little bit of repairing. And I didn't I didn't go into the study hoping to just bash on you know people expecting Joe Burrow to succeed this season. I just wanted to see how rare it is and what the context behind that rarity looks like. And my expectations for Burrow have been tempered. They already were pretty minimal because it's that's just natural for rookie quarterbacks to go into. But there's a reason why a lot of rookie quarterbacks have not had a lot of success. And even in the last three years, like there's been plenty of quarterbacks that were drafted top five or top three even, and they, they just struggle. They, they all Most of them have talent. There's no there's no disregarding that franchises still have hopes for those quarterbacks to end up succeeding, but I, I wanted to quantify how rare it is and what that production kind of looks like, and I, I think it does invoke a lot more context into what we can look at for quarterback play. Right, and I think the, I mean, what's what's the what's the kind of all shucks all shucks joke that Peyton Manning tells everybody when he talks about, you know, rookie quarterback, when he talks to rookie quarterbacks, I went three and 13 in my rookie season. And I set the rookie record for interceptions in my rookie year. And he ended up being one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Not saying that Joe Burrow is or isn't the next Peyton Manning, but I think there are a lot of traits there that you'd like to think leadership, reading a defense accuracy. you'd, You'd like to think are similar to a Peyton Manning and, even if this season, which I don't think we, when we look at it and we did our schedule breakdown and everything, when we don't see another two and two and 14, three and 13 season on the horizon this year, obviously Vegas doesn't either because they've set the bar at like five and a half wins, like you said, John. But, you know, even if there is that sort of, you know, high touchdown, high interception, not many wins in the rookie year, that also doesn't necessarily bode poorly for a guy like Joe Burrow as well, but you have to use some of these data points as indicators of where their career may go based on what they do in their rookie year. Right. And we have a comment from Gidlo Hude. The team has improved. If you just look at it being Burrow, then you will miss the magic of this year. I think the team has improved. I think we both can agree that right. the team has obviously improved around Joe Burrow. Fact: The fact of the matter is the value of every other player on this team doesn't come close to the value of Joe Burrow. That that's the case for it, it, it's it's why in the MVP races it, it's all about quarterbacks. It's why in the Heisman Trophy races it's mostly about quarterbacks. It like that's that's just the nature of the position. That's just the nature of what the data tells us. There's no player or groups of players that come close to being as valuable as the quarterback. So if the quarterback doesn't succeed, it's very hard for the team to, to succeed as well. And then again, you. I, this is why I referenced Dalton's rookie season in, in the article. They went nine and seven with a below-average quarterback. While all, all intents and purposes, that team had a lot of close games that ended up bouncing into their favor. But there's a reason why when they went to the playoffs, no one really had any, any expectation of them succeeding at, at any type of level. They got blown out by the Texans at home, rightfully so, because the Texans were a better team, and Dalton just wasn't ready for that. And he ended up just never being ready for that. And I think we could have realized that after we saw the next couple seasons of his 
progressed the way that it did. But I think that this production tells us a lot about how to expect production going forward. And what Burrow does this year shouldn't be an indicator of what his future success will look like going forward. Because like we, should, like we know, rookie quarterback production is not indicative of what the rest of his career will look like. And it's a, it's a lot of, of why I think the national media and just writers in general are not as high on the Bengals as most Bengals fans are right now. Well, I think when we, when we sit here a year from now and, and depending on what the NFL season looks like, but with it, when we're, you know, down the road a year from now, these are some of the, the data points we can use to kind of analyze where Joe Burrow ended up, where the team ended up and where his career arc could be going. But this was a very well done article by you, John, very well researched and very thorough so I applaud you for that and definitely something we wanted to share. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I guess this is a good parlay into our, our nine for nine because we are now we've covered a number of different positions and uh, you've kind of spearheaded this series as well. The nine for nine positional preview series. So I guess even though we don't have Ken Anderson with us this week, as we would have liked, I guess that's a good place to go this week in terms of position. Yeah, short and sweet and to the point. They have three quarterbacks on the roster right now. The expectation is they will have three quarterbacks on the active roster when week one begins. The order of the depth chart is also not expected to change. You have Joe Burrow at the top. You have Ryan Finley as his backup. And you have Jake Dolagala as the backup to both of them. I guess if there's one topic of discussion here, it has already evaporated because that was when the idea of a veteran quarterback signing being in play was still kind of up in the air. Team snuffed that out, basically backed up by, you know, a lot of the veteran quarterbacks that were available on the market. Most notably, I think Joe Flacco being taken off of the market. The team made it clear that they just want to go with these three. They have enough room for three quarterbacks on the roster. Um, I think it's smart to continue to hold on to Dolagala just in case that you need him because that arm talent is miles better than what Ryan Finley's is. But also speaks to the point of, I, I, I guess they, there could be a reality where they just like Dolagala so much, and if Finley doesn't do anything in this preseason, this training camp, there's a reality where Dolagala unseats Finley as the backup, and maybe makes Finley expendable. But they, they have been on the record for saying that they they still believe in Finley. They want to give him another chance to to do something in in this season, whether it's just the preseason or if he has to come in for for Burrow, you know, God forbid. But like these three are going to stay, and unfortunately, there's just not that much to expand upon other than that in terms of what we predict, predict the roster will look like, I guess. Well, I, I guess, you know, some of the talking points we, we could have about this is, you know, a potential flip-flop of depth chart between Dolagala and Finley. Um, you know, that's, that's one thing based on how preseason goes. And I guess the other thing... Um, you know, there's one other point I want to bring up too in a minute, but uh, you know, going back to your point about the veteran quarterback situation, we have seen the Bengals pick up guys after final cuts to kind of like remember Zach Robinson. He was a guy that they've picked up as a, as a, you know, back end quarterback and maybe they got rid of a guy. So I don't, I don't foresee that happening, but if the Bengals are either super enamored with a Jake Dolagala, he ends up playing well in preseason they feel like, you know, what they saw from Ryan Finley in the regular season last year was not um, was not up to snuff and they they can make an upgrade. Maybe that's where they go or vice versa. Maybe they feel 
Dolagal is too raw, and that's a possibility. Um, I, I don't. I think the possibility is remote. I think that those are the three that they're going to stick with. But there is a a chance that they see somebody on the waiver wire again. They're kind of at the tops there, at least initially, to make a claim on somebody. So um, I, I don't. I don't foresee a change between the three, nor in the depth chart order. But I guess that is a, a point of a, a discussion we could look at a little bit and because they've grabbed quarterbacks in the past from final cuts. Dan, Dan yeah. LaFever was another one, I think. Oh, wow. That's a blast in the past. Yeah. That was like – that might have been, I think, when Butch Jones was still in Central Michigan that he just like yeah, exploded. Yeah. yeah. I believe Antonio Brown was on that team too. Yeah. I think yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Dan LaFever, Zach Robinson, Jason Campbell, Bruce Grykowski. Like the names go on and on about back of court, and then AJ McCarron, obviously for a handful of years. Um, it, it, they've luckily never been in a position where you know one of them had. To, well, I guess AJ McCarron had to start a playoff game, but you know their quarterbacks over the past fifteen years have remained relatively healthy for the long term. They never had to really rely on one, and that's that's the whole point because we just went on a whole sermon about not expecting having high expectations for Joe Burrow, but at the same time, he's by far their, their best option. Like there, there's the, the back of quarterback discussion is always, is always interesting to me because it, it is an important position on the depth chart for the fact that it's a quarterback and it's valuable if he has to play. But at the same time, there's, it's such a rare situation to have a backup quarterback be as good as your starter or in the case that if you need to play him, then the drop-off of his play is not as significant. And I think that's what allowed the 2015 team to stay afloat because while Andy Dalton was playing at a high level, the offense was just a well-oiled machine, so all A.J. McCarron had to do was just not screw up. And fortunately, he didn't ultimately screw up up to the playoffs and then unfortunately laid an egg for the first three quarters of that of that game. But the, the, the situations where your, your backup quarterback can be as good as your starter – or in the case that it's so important to get a good one, like it, it, it seems overblown to me at, at this point. Because if your starter goes down, if any team starter goes down, more times than not, they're, they're screwed. Like that's why the Chiefs had to work their way back up into the AFC race because Pat Mahomes missed a handful of games. Matt Moore played decent, but the Chiefs just weren't even close to the the dominating offensive machine that they were when Mahomes was healthy. Andy Reid can only do so much, and Matt Moore is one of the better backup quarterbacks in the league, and they have arguably maybe the best quarterback situation in the league looking at the entire depth chart but even if Finley does do better which I think we can expect him to do better because it's hard for him to do much worse the situation where he can come in and do the same things as Joe Burrow it just doesn't seem very realistic to me so let's this this was kind of the other part I was going to go towards in, in this conversation with and especially as it goes with Ryan Finley I mean when he came in, as as it was the case throughout, you know, a good chunk of uh, the the year, no matter who was under center. But if for some reason he were to need to play, and the roster is quite a bit healthier, how much of an of a how much more confidence does that give you if you need to ride Ryan Finley for a couple of starts? And maybe, you know, this team, as we've mentioned, maybe makes a surprising playoff push towards the end of the season. Something happens where Ryan Finley needs to come in for a game or two. 
and you've got a healthy AJ Green, a healthy Jonah Williams, maybe some other key players that are healthier than they were last year when he took over the reins. I mean, how how much more does that raise your confidence level in terms of him being able to get you a couple of wins if needed with a healthier roster? I guess it would only raise it, but I know what Ryan Finley was last year. I know who he was as a prospect, and just him in a vacuum on his own doesn't give you a lot of confidence at all. If I had to compare him to any quarterback that the Bengals might face, Pretty much ninety nine percent of the time, I'm taking the other quarterback, and that's just how that's just how games go. That's how games are won and lost. Who has the better quarterback? It doesn't matter how many yards Joe Mixon can run if the other team can score at will with a better quarterback. Then then you're toast. If you don't have a quarterback that can keep up, you're, you're you're toast. So the whole offense can be healthy. The offensive line can be as good as we think it is. The defense can be as improved as it is. If Ryan Finley doesn't play like a decent quarterback, and he just hasn't up to this point, then the Bengals have no hope to, to compete on, reg- on a regular basis if he's the guy. But having the entire team healthy, or at least having most of the team healthy, even just at a point where it's more healthier than last year when he had to come in, that would only alleviate my concerns about it because the, the, the margin of error is just lower. And by by result, like your confidence would have to go up in a sense. But I, I wonder, my biggest question is if, if Burrow does go down and Finley starts to stink up, how long as his leash until they start to see what Dolagala has in store. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, let, let's hope that that is not the scenario. <laughs> We've got to fill the time window with something. I know, it, it, I know. It's, not, it's not a lot to talk about with this position group. <laughs> I know. I mean, we've talked about Joe Burrow already, um, but let's hope we're going to preface that. Let's hope that that scenario does not play out for the sake of a lot of reasons, but uh, that, that is a good question. And I, I really don't know. You know, my my point earlier to Ryan Finley is, you know, when A.J. McCarron came in for Andy Dalton in 2015, he was able to kind of carry him to to a couple of wins and nearly that playoff win. And really, when you look back at it, is because the chasm between the talent chasm between Andy Dalton and A.J. McCarron wasn't really that that big. There, there, There was a big chasm, but it wasn't really that big because the supporting cast was also very, very, very talented, and everybody was pretty much healthy at that point in 2015. Now you look at it, the talent chasm appears to be quite big between Joe Burrow and Ryan Finley, your, your presumed backup quarterback. And I guess where I was going is, you know, within the amassed talent potentially staying intact, if there were a scenario there, um, you know, I, I would think there's maybe a little bit of a – confidence level akin to when McCarron came in, but maybe not as much just to, based on what we saw last year. But, you know, I, I your leash question is also an interesting one. Dola Gala really showed a lot in preseason that, that you liked. And he, he showed off that cannon. He's got the size and he can move. He can move a bit um, for his size. So I, I think at that point, if, if there is some situation where Joe Burrow can't play, You've got Ryan Finley in there, and either you need to win games, the season is lost, something like that, and Ryan Finley is not playing well. Then I think you say, "What the hell? Let's let's put in Dolagala and just you know ride that out." I would think. And with, with those three, I think the average age of that group is just over twenty-four. I know <laughs> yeah. a lot of people. I know a lot of people have been you know, negative about that. Like, why haven't they brought in a veteran presence? And their response has always been. Zach Taylor was a former quarterback. Brian Callahan played quarterback. Dan Pitcher played quarterback. They have three 
former quarterbacks on the coaching staff, one being the head coach, one being the offensive coordinator. So the support system is there for that veteran presence. But also, I maybe it's because I'm about their age, but I just like it. I, I like having the, the youngest quarterback. Yeah, it's it's kind of it, it's kind of how I, it's kind of how I felt, or it's, it's how like I build my my Madden like fantasy draft franchises. I always had like young quarterbacks to to build for the future, whatnot. Maybe I'm just biased in, in that sense, but I don't know. I I. I don't mind that they don't have a, a, a geezer at, at backup there holding the clipboard, and I think he's kind of a waste of roster space because they have the they have the minds of, of Taylor and Callahan already there. Um, a Josh McCown signing wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but I just I just don't see the necessity of, as other people do it. Maybe it's because I'm their age, but I don't know. Key question: What age do you consider a geezer? And be very careful. With okay, what. okay, wait, wait. No. A, a geezer in, in real life, you know, that aren't the mortals that are playing the National Football League. A geezer is at least uh, like fifty-six. I'm a geezer in the NFL is like, let's go thirty-four. Oh, oh gosh. Okay, then I'm ancient. Um, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I think again, I think we kind of know what what to expect here from this position group. It's really just about who the starter, what what the starter does. Uh, we know who the starter will be. That's going to be Joe Burrow. And what what he ends up doing, who he ends up becoming as an NFL quarterback is really the big question. And what he does as a rookie is a big question because that's going to kind of project, at least give us some semblance of an idea as to what's what should be ahead for this team uh, in the next couple of years. I think a lot of people think that, you know, while the Bengals have amassed a lot of talent and made a lot of t- roster turnover this offseason, and that's probably going to be a very positive thing, I think that, you know, a lot of realistic Bengals fans and those who cover the NFL are kind of saying, well, maybe 2021, 2022, those are kind of maybe when that window starts to kind of open. But and, uh, and I feel like I didn't I didn't say this very clearly when I was talking about the, the article. There is definitely a scenario where Joe Burrow does become the outlier and does have a successful season. And I think it's important to know that if that is the case, because it very well could be because of the, all the reasons that everybody believes of, of why it could be. If that is the case, it should be celebrated accordingly as an, an anomaly to, to the norm and not what the expectation is. I, I think if Joe Burrow succeeds as a rookie, which is what we all want him to, I, I obviously want him to. I'm just I, I, I don't I'm not expecting it. And I think that's the important type of realization or, or the dichotomy of the, of the situation that I think we have to realize. So I, I'm obviously rooting for him to success to succeed, and I do think that there's a path for him to succeed. But if he does, it should be revered even bigger than maybe what other people's expectations are about it. Yeah. Well, that's the quarterback position of the nine for nine positional preview. We talked Joe Burrow, we talked Ryan Finley, we talked uh, Jake Dolagala, and uh, potential changeups to the to the depth chart as we as we currently see it, but. Not really much that we foresee occurring at the position group. This obviously is Joe Burrow's ship to to captain at this point, and we'll see how he does. John, what do we have left for the 9 for 9? I'm putting you on the spot here. I think we've done the defensive line. We've done the offensive line. We've done the linebackers. We've done the quarterbacks. I think we did. Did we do running backs last week? Uh, Uh, Yeah, we did. We did do running backs. So Uh, I I believe what's left on offense is tight ends, and we still have – the secondary cornerbacks and safeties to go. Yep. I thought that's what I had too. Perfect. Well, good stuff, John. Thanks for spearheading that. And uh, we will continue that over the next couple of weeks while also trying to uh, give a couple of, um, uh, a couple of 
interviews and obviously continued analysis, especially as more Bengals players start filtering into the facility. Before we get on out of here and drop the mic, I want to remind people to subscribe to our channels if you can and uh, get the podcast however you are able, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Cincy Jungle. Uh, For some reason, again, I don't know why, but maybe the Cincy Jungle Facebook video portion is not working. We're having a couple of people join us via Facebook, but I think they're saying they're having trouble with the video portion. Normally that's not an issue, but the video will be downloadable after the fact. And you can also get the audio on any of those other platforms that I mentioned. Subscribe to the channels to get notified when we take the air and when new episodes are available for the channel itself, the SB Nation audio channel. It's not just our show. It's Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk. It's Orange is the New Black podcast with Ace and Zim, and also, sorry if I spit when I speak, with Daddy McDuke and Hoji Smoji. So all of those are on our audio channel, and the Chalk Talk film review sessions are on our YouTube channel along with our shows. So get it how you can. John, let's drop the mic and get on out of here. What do you got for us? So we had Jason Von Stein in the comments section asking about punters. Uh, we can go to our special teams if we want, but I'm glad he commented because I wanted to give a enormous shout out to him he's he emailed us uh he emailed me and anthony earlier uh this week showing appreciation for the show and to show his gratitude anthony he drew us look at us we're cartoons even randall made the cut i was, I was gonna say I, i'm just stoked randall made it so uh and and i think randall's got the joe burrow shirt on if i'm not mistaken he he, 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 he included details on, on joe yeah. Burrow, like his hair is the right way like there's smoke coming out of the cigar like yep. As a cartoon, I don't look too bad. I don't think you look too bad either. So, I, I, yeah, he made me very spelt uh, in the face. I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm kind of flattering, uh, or it's, it's pretty flattering. But it, you know, pretty cool stuff. Uh, Jason's been a loyal listener to this program from for a long, 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 long time, and we have used. He mentioned in his email, John, we have used uh, his uh, Mister Misery track on some of our. Uh, podcast episodes as as intro and outro music we will continue to do that his stuff is on itunes too he's a he's a musician so go look up jason von stein on there um to get some of his music he he plays a lot of uh, his own music i think he does some cover songs as well the music a lot of the music he plays is actually stuff his father has written and then he plays it but uh yeah I, i'm glad you brought this up because i was gonna if you didn't uh so very cool stuff from jason von stein and um you know, we, we appreciate you, Jason, and, and all of, all of you who tune in regularly to the program, or if you're new to it, what have you, we appreciate, uh, we appreciate that. So, um, there's us. I mean, I, I think he's even gave me the blue eyes. So, uh, you know, I think it's pretty detailed. Our jaw lines have never looked better. I know. Specifically mine have never looked better. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. So good stuff, Jason. Uh, thank you for, for doing that. Um, was that, was that it for you, John? That, that was, that was my drop of the mic. Yes. Okay. I love it. Uh, you, you saved me some work. I just want to say that, uh, first of all, I mentioned him earlier, Jimmy Foster, Bengals Jim. He's a guy who does a lot of tailgate, uh, parties for the Bengals. He does an awesome job. He has a, a YouTube show and, 
a Facebook show. He's got a, a pretty big following on Twitter and others from Bengals fans. Heck of a nice guy. Met him in Seattle along with my brother. Um, he's kind of the, the koozie. He's got the beer koozie um, with the with the Paul Brown or Mike Brown silhouette on it. Great guy. He had me on his program with Gary Burley. I mentioned that earlier. He's had all kinds of different players and fans of the week and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I would be remiss if I did not give him a little shout out for not only having me on, but also doing a cool little show. He does it weekly and um, go check that out if you can. The other thing I want to bring up and uh, you know, I don't want to belabor the point a little bit, but you know, we had a couple of people based on what was discussed last week on our show saying they wanted to unsubscribe to our program and that's, that's okay. Um, but it did you know, oddly enough, I did get, I did see something on Twitter um, about some some reason for some reason a Bengals tweet resurfaced about uh, Joe Mixon when the Bengals made the announcement of Joe Mixon and how people were so quick to write off the team and they were ready to sell their um, sell their season tickets and they're no no longer a fan and I, I just. It got me to thinking about how many people, and I could pull up the tweet, but I'm not going to because I'm not going to put people on blast like that. But I, I am curious to know how many of those people are now in Joe Mixon's corner, how many are now in the Bengals' corner and all of that, um, you know, just based on some things that have transpired. So, um, you know, at, at any rate, it just kind of got me thinking a little bit and good, good on Joe Mixon for, you know, taking a, a bad narrative from now about six, seven years ago and really, you know, showing everybody who he who he is, and um, you know, continuing to do good things for the Cincinnati Bengals. I did go back to, um, by, by the way, for those of you who you know thought that whatever whatever happened last week was normal for our show, it is not. But I did go back and look at a um, an episode uh, with Scott Schultz and I talking about the Bengals. Uh, 20, 2017 draft class and talking about Joe Mixon. And I kind of had some thoughts about, you know, just, Hey, you know, you got to endear yourself to the fan base, but I was not ready to write him off. I was obviously cheering him on and hoping that he went down the right path, which he has done gave, gave the Bengals a good grade, I, oddly enough. So, uh, but I, I just thought it was funny that, uh, you know, the, the so-called cancel culture, if you will, um, you know, I, I, it made me, as that tweet came back on the timeline, I wondered how many people, uh, now are, hey, this guy's got to sign a contract extension. This guy's this guy's the most important guy on offense. You know, well, aside from Joe Burrow, you know what I mean. Uh, just just kind of made me chuckle a little bit. It's been a long four years with him, and I think or only three years. Wow, yeah, yeah. That's how long it's been. It's been long for him to work behind the offensive line, but um, yeah, I think it's important to recognize that he's done the right steps to get to the point where he is at, at now. And, you know, as long as you continue to do the right things, people will start to come around and betterly than ever. So good for him. Yep. So, John, thank you. You carried this. Are your shoulders sore from carrying this episode on your back, man? I mean, you just – you did you did all the heavy <laughs> – That's why I skipped shoulder day at the gym now. So <laughs> – uh, well, thank you for your work, man. And to the listeners, I'm sorry if we disappointed you about Ken Anderson not coming on. We were disappointed, but he's got a life. He's got stuff to do. We understand. We're going to try and reschedule him and get him on the show 
in the very near future. He's got some stuff coming up for his Ken Anderson Alliance, his nonprofit uh, foundation that he runs. Um, in the meantime, if you want to check out some of that stuff, go check out his, his nonprofit. But we will be definitely talking to him once we get him on the episode. Our hope is that it will be as soon as next week's episode. We will see. I don't want to promise anything, but, um, you know, we've been ta- talking with him and this was kind of a last minute thing. So, but uh, we're excited to have him on. We apologize that there was a little bit of a mix up on today's topics on that front, but we appreciate you all tuning in. We appreciate you downloading, subscribing, and uh, we, we will see you next time. John, have a good week, buddy. See you, man.